Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome back to the Generators Podcast with me, Trent McClellan. This is episode 61. Welcome back. And if you're new, welcome in anyway with the rest of us. You're more than welcome. Thanks for coming in. Um, how's everybody doing out there? Mm-hmm. Okay. I hear you. Interesting. Um, I'm doing pretty well. I'm recording this uh, introduction here on Sunday evening here in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada, Earth. And um, my weekend was nice because I finally got to go to see a live music performance. The first one I've got to do since I saw Matt Good at the Marquee back in March of this year before everything shut down. So myself and um, a bunch of folks went to go see uh, Alan Doyle and his amazing band at the Halifax Convention Center last night and uh, was, you know, social distancing and whatnot, which is tables. And that's your little bubble, you know, your table. And uh, it was just really, really nice to be back in that world. And to to and then I had these moments where I thought, like, man, we used to just be able to do this all the time. Um, and you, you do take it for granted, all these basic things that we get to do in this country all the time, going to live performances, whether it's music or comedy or, you know, going to restaurants, going to movies, um, just being in social gatherings in general. And, uh, I really, really was grateful last night as I sat there and just watched, uh, watched the show. It was, uh, it was a really cool thing. And I think you do appreciate things a lot more once they're taken away from you. And uh, I definitely had that moment last night. Last night's show, I mean, they did a fantastic job. It was great. They sounded great. Everybody was in a great mood. I think you can feel that amongst uh, audiences now. The comedy shows that I've been to or performed at, you really feel like people want to reconnect with others and they do that through, you know, being at performances and shows and laughing together or singing together, clapping their hands together. And there's, that was a case again last night. So, you know, even though you couldn't get up and stand up, you had to sit, you know, at your table, people were into it, you know, and digging it. And, uh, Alan and, and the band did a great job of bringing everyone into it and acknowledging the elephant in the room, you know, with these new protocols and stuff. Um, but, uh, no, it was a great night and fun. And, uh, yeah, just one of those nights that you would have done a thousand times and never thought twice about it. And now you do it and you say, wow, thank God. And also it makes you feel pretty lucky to be part of the Atlantic bubble right now where, you know, we're one of the few places in the world, I guess, where this kind of stuff can happen. And uh, you can go to a live show. You can go to a restaurant and uh, sit down as numbers start to continue to rise here in Canada right now. So, um, yeah, definitely grateful for that. Definitely grateful. And now we find ourselves well into November, people. Huh? I still remember when this whole thing turned, when the world flicked the switch, shall we say. And I remember the beginning of March, it was still very wintry, still very cold. And in many ways, that feels like that was just a month or two ago. And in some other ways, it feels like that was years ago. Like so much life has happened and we've all gone through so much in, uh, in that amount of time. 
you know, and here we are now into November and approaching the end of the year. And, uh, you know, what a year to look back on. It's a year that I know for me in a lot of ways, so much is going on in my life that I often feel like the years tend to blend into one, but I think 2020 will definitely stand out, uh, on its own. Um, I think for, for a long, long time. And I think even adding to that is the fact that Donald Trump lost. America said enough. Enough of the hate, enough of the rage, enough of the anger, enough of the narcissism, enough of the lies. Literally, America broke up with their toxic boyfriend. That's the way I look at it. They were dating a guy who was toxic. They put up with it for a long time. And eventually they went, I, I can't do it. We, I can't do this. Pack your shit and get out. And uh, it was amazing looking at the scenes of people just celebrating and popping champagne bottles in the streets. People were celebrating. And I thought about that. You know, Trump was at the golf course when he found out, which is just so ironic and so fitting that he's off on, you know, golf day number 300 probably. And it's like, oh, you've been fired partially because you golf a lot and don't do any work. And he he's on the golf course. And then he returns to the White House. And he's basically got to drive through thousands and thousands of people who are celebrating him getting fired. Imagine you get fired from your work. And, and people are on the streets just crying with happiness and holding one another because you've lost your job. <laughs> It's amazing, but it just shows you the relief and how badly most of America wanted that. And I got to be honest, a lot of the world wanted it. it. I think you're just tired of it. You just get tired of the everyday tweeting and the garbage every single day. And I think that's what happened. The world in general just got sick of it, just got tired. And Americans got tired and said, enough's enough. We just, we just don't want another four years of this. And that's what happened. And now it's up to uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. First uh, female vice president, um, black Asian female vice president. Amazing. Says a lot for for women going forward. And uh, it's exciting times, American. Congratulations. Uh, you were sick there for about four years and uh, you're about to get a clean bill of health. So congratulations. You know, well done. Anyway, that leads me well into my next guest. My guest this week is Amanda Brooke Perrin. Amanda is from Calgary, and I've known her for, for many, many years. Um, she's now living in Los Angeles, California. And when we uh, caught up with her via Zoom on this, on this chat, she was basically had barricaded herself in a cabin in the woods in California because she was waiting for the election results, I think, and was kind of like, I need to be somewhere safe. So we get into that a little bit. Um, Amanda is a very, very funny comedian and and a great writer as well. And uh, we caught up, you know, because I hadn't talked to her in many, many years. Um, just as I said before, it's it's the nature of of this business and the way it works. And uh, yeah, we catch up. I find out what she's what she's been going through, um, what it's like as a Canadian living in America right now uh, in Trump's America. And, uh, and she's got some really interesting, uh, insights and perspectives on that. And, uh, I think you will enjoy this one. So sit back and enjoy my conversation with Amanda Brooke Perrin. 
record the, I'm recording it. That's what I meant. So that's the lingo. Can you imagine if we were live right now? It's like broadcast to the world. Millions of people. Just is it live though? Is he tricking us? Gazillions of people. Where did you say you're in a cabin in Big Bear, California? I am. It looks very. It looks very alpine and rustic. Is it? It's pretty quaint. Um, my dog is over here. If you can see her, she's just a little. Well, it's pretty shady. Nice. You can't really see anything. It is really nice though. Um, it's not LA, so. <laughs> And did you did you literally just say I this is election day I am going to barricade myself in the woods? Well, it's so I was supposed to come here in September and then the wildfires started and so I I was like can I postpone? Not even thinking, can I do the first week of November? And it was the best decision that has ever like the best accident that's ever happened to me. <laughs> I don't want to be anywhere near people right now. Everyone is crazy. I get it. I get it. I don't I don't know. Do you think it's worse for a Canadian to be in amongst all that right now? I mean, I was talking to um to Nigel Lawrence and Nigel also just came back to Canada after being in LA for a bunch of time. He's like, dude, he's like, it's nuts. Like he's like, I gotta get out of here. And so he came back, barricaded himself in a cabin and like outside of Red Deer for two weeks. And now he's able to go about, but he's like, I have to get out of here. Is that the same vibe that you have? I, yeah, I would say, well, first of all, anytime anything happens in Los Angeles, it's like the 4th of July and fireworks happen at just where no, it, it could be a Tuesday and you'll just hear a bunch of fireworks. So you play a fun game called, is it a gunshot or is it a firework? <laughs> Very fun. often. That sounds like fun. Very fun. Um, and, but just right now, I, what I've, I've lived, I've had the, um, very good fortune of living in nice liberal bu- liberal bubbles my whole life and no offense to anybody who is conservative but also maybe offense because yikes um <laughs> and so i i don't really think of people who are voting for trump as real people because i really just see it through the filter of the media and when i moved here in 2016 before the 2016 election I drove through America from Toronto to Los Angeles and in middle America, you just start seeing all the Trump signs and all the pro-life signs. And you're like, Oh my God, I forgot these people are real. (laughs) I forgot (laughs) that they exist. And again, I, I probably, you know, could get along with a conservative, like no problem, but I just, I cannot fathom (laughs) how you could, vote for him in your right mind like it, it doesn't right. so anyway even in big bear there were people putting up trump signs along the road and i was like that's a nightmare and then i drove a little bit further and there was like a group of people with biden harris signs and i was like oh thank jesus <laughs> i'm coming to my people i'm coming to my people but i can't believe how close everything is right now it's just it's just so wild i know it's really weird because You know, like what I've realized is that uh, what we believe, you know, you and I or whoever, what you believe is what you believe. And you can't see how someone can't see it that way. But they look at it the exact same way. They look at you and go, how can she be so ridiculous with her thoughts about whatever? And it's just so divided. And up here in Canada now, it's like people are literally like getting chips 
and like popcorn and literally it's like it's like a, a gif like people are eating like what is going to happen i feel like america's like that jiffy pop popcorn where the thing is just about to explode yes. and everyone's just like what's going to happen because no matter what happens shit is about to hit the fan exactly like there's there's not going to be a con- it's not Tonight isn't going to end with people being like, all right, that is the decision. We all agree. That's <laughs> no take backsies. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's not going to happen like that. So I, I just, in times like this, I miss Canada so much because regardless of the political climate, we've always been able to hold our stuff together. Like we've always been able to hold yeah. it together as a nation and not, um, just complete completely lose it on a daily basis it's and also their elections last 18 years and in canada it's like okay yeah i guess we're gonna do an election do you guys want to vote i will give them like a week thursday you guys want to do thursday or is that enough for everyone to kind of get a sign up and whatnot or free thursday 3 p.m ish <laughs> you guys um, good or we can do friday i can move it a day doesn't matter to me move. I'm pretty flexible. By the time you rent a bus, I mean, it's going to be all sorted. Like, and the money dumped into it is what I find amazing. Like in a country that, you know, the, the disparity between, you know, wealthy and poor is so massive. And yet yeah. these millions and millions of dollars are given to campaigns that go on for a year and a half. And it's like, what are you doing? Like, do you not see the hypocrisy of wasting this much money so that you can just have a guy who you know you're already going to vote for tell you his message a million times over and over and then make exactly. trash campaigns campaign ads about the other person. It's just such a waste of energy and time to me. Yeah, for sure. It's yeah, it is scary because on the one hand, you're like, I want to make a difference. And if I can change one person's mind, maybe that'll be for the greater good. But also, yeah, people have their minds made up. This is the land of the free man. (laughs) And they will tell you that quite regularly. Yes, exactly. Well, someone said to me too that, and I, when the more I look at American politics, the more I agree, is that it's almost like sport. And so your guy, your team can do no wrong. And the other team, whatever they do is garbage. And your guy could yeah. literally stab someone. And it's like, yeah, but he only stabs someone because they left the knife out. If they hadn't <laughs> left the knife out, then it wouldn't have happened. I mean, who's not going to stab somebody when a knife is just left right there? It was self-defense. Like, it's always defensible, whatever they do. And so there's just that loyalty. It's just a blind faith loyalty and anything else is garbage. It's like you're a Lakers fan and you're like, if you're not a Lakers fan, you're dead to me. That's the way it is. It's that's, that's a very good metaphor for things. And yeah, but I, I haven't really been scared when a sports team has won. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't experienced that yet. Um, You haven't hit under your bed when the Clippers lose. You've never just like, okay, I'm going to go in the woods. Well, the bomb shelter, it's ready. All right. Um, Yeah, it's uh, it's it's just so interesting to be here. And I've been here. Yeah, for four years now. So crazy, crazy. So you I mean, we met so many years ago. I don't even remember. It would have been in Calgary, obviously. And I remember you were working in the uh, in the office at the at the Yuck Yucks at the time. Yeah. Um, And uh, then you found your way on stage and then you just kind of like just gradually just got like stronger and stronger and funnier and funnier. And I was like, she used to just work in the uh, she's just now she's doing all the gig. How can you have that much talent? 
Wait, maybe I'll run for president. Who knows? Maybe you will be the president um, of Canada. Be the president of Canada. Canada. Uh, never the States. Um, yeah. You, do you remember you brought me on stage for my first set ever? I did. I do remember this. Yeah. Do you also remember that you made everyone stand before I did my set? <laughs> Raising expectations exponentially high. <laughs> Get Everybody out. get out of your seats right now. Get out of your I seats. I was like, oh, okay, this should be fine. Pre-standing ovation, okay? You do the standing <laughs> ovation before they perform. Show some respect <laughs> up here. <laughs> it was great, though. It was I, It was really nice to have a friend bring me on stage. That sort of made me feel a little calmer. But I was terrified. I think I did two shots of vodka before getting on stage and was just like, all right, whatever happens, happens. And it was really fun. Yeah, it's amazing. It's I often say to comics too, like that first time, if it didn't go well, it went, luckily it went well for me my first time, but I'm like, if yeah. it hadn't have gone well, I don't think I'm going back to that. Like I just wouldn't, I know I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had that strength to go, no, I've learned a lot and I'm going to go back now with the, I wouldn't have, yeah. I would have, I would have never walked in a comedy club ever again, even to watch a show probably. It would have been no, too I know. That, it would be like getting on stage, having someone slap you in the face and then be like, when do you want to do it again? Do you want yeah. to do it again quickly or I, do you want to be slapped again now or did you want to wait till tomorrow night? Do you want to wait later for that? There's a late um, slap as well. There's a late slap at 10. Did you want to do, just be slapped again at 10 o'clock? <laughs> but I, I do like the third time I was on stage was it the third i don't know i can't remember like probably my first bomb though i was like why do why did i choose this did you have that like when you first bombed it's like why would i do that like i i have a brain right yeah why would i I get on stage again after that why who who lied to me about (laughs) this being good or my i was I got cocky after my first set. So I thought I did a five minute set or whatever it was or seven minutes and it went well. And I went, well, clearly everything I think of is brilliant. So I went up with a brand new five on my second set going like, it's that easy. You just think of stuff, walk up and they all adore you. And it was just crickets for seven minutes. And I went, I was going to quit. I was like, yeah, well, that's I'm not going through that again. And my girlfriend at the time goes, really? You had one good set, one bad set. And you're just going <laughs> to pack it up. I'm like, yeah, but you, you weren't up there to feel the pain of what I went through. She's like, yeah, but you just, you're just going to walk. And <laughs> she guilted me into going back a, a third time. But it was, yeah, you do not want to go through that. That makes you either get better or just quit. You just like, you don't want yeah. to suffer through that again. It's so funny. Cause so many people are like, I could never do what you do. But then you have someone like your girlfriend who's like, yeah, it's fine. Just like go up. I don't understand why you're being a baby about it. Just yeah. go back. <laughs> just like walk back up the steps and do it again. And just tell your little sketch. Tell, tell your little think Here's something you could use. This happened to me the other day. Why don't you try that tonight? That's a great idea. Why don't we just your walk uncle. up? And- use your uncle. I love when it's just a person. They're just like, yeah, use your uncle. I'm like, okay, do the great. stuff. That's so great. Um, it's already you fixed. Tell me specifics. <laughs> that would be great. Um, just, just Uncle, Uncle Gary. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead. Just that should be. I mean, that's forty-five there. So I mean, it's a whole hour. You, you could close do a whole with hour on it. Close with Anne Joan, and I mean, that's a full hour for you. So I don't know what else you want me to write for you, because I've given you everything you need. Um, but yeah, but I think did you were you hooked early too? Like once you did it, were you like, okay, this is definitely a road I want to go down? Because I was. Yeah. I was watching a podcast the other day and people were talking about following your passions and stuff. And I really believe 
following your passion quite often is like, you don't think about money. You don't think about security. You just go, this feels really good to do usually. And I'm just going to go down that road. Like that's how I kind of approached it. What was your thought process? For sure. I was the exact same way. I, well, yeah, I started working in a comedy club and then, and then I did stand up. And because I was around it all the time, there was like, there was no going back. Even if I did have a really great set and was like, okay, yeah, maybe I'll do that again. I was, it was just constantly in front of me. So once I had that hit, I was like, okay, it's so easy for me to get on stage now. Why wouldn't I? But yeah, it's pretty, it becomes for a lot of people. I think it becomes an obsession pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, I think too, because you, got to see it like the inside of it and the behind the curtain part of it whereas people who grow up in an area with no comedy club because that's the way it was for me like it just seems so foreign it was just something on my television but like to have a little bit of a sneak peek of like okay I'm meeting comedians and I'm inside the world and I'm seeing how it works it's almost like you are getting a little bit of a fast track in that regard of just knowing (laughs) the crazy mentality of comedians and like oh that guy hasn't showered in three days that's a thing that people do in this profession okay that guy wants to borrow how much money and I've never met him and he'd like to borrow how much (laughs) you're just like what no and uh, I'm not sure if your parents were supportive but I think my parents were I mean my parents have the mentality of like school was just a thing that you do it's just like a formality and but then you work and then working is more it takes precedent over education so pretty much I took two university courses and was like I think I want to do comedy and then they're like okay are you getting paid for it I'm like not currently but I will in the future Uh, and then they jumped on board I guess but yeah it's very (laughs) it's very strange being like I'm going to be a clown are you okay with that (laughs) I'm going to be a clown and I don't know if it'll pay anything at any point I quit a full-time job with like benefits and (laughs) it was like I'm going to go tell jokes in Bonnyville and sometimes because there'll be large periods where I won't have any work at all and it'll cost me money to get to Bonneville more than I'm going to make I didn't that's what I mean I didn't do any math and Steve Patterson was saying the same thing he said he went to Ireland once to do a bunch of gigs and he said he hadn't calculated how he was going to get home so he had to find a gig (laughs) to make enough money to get back to Canada and he's like I need to do some serious thinking about what I'm doing with my life and I think that's most comedians like you're just following it so blind there is no plan there is no financial planning because there's not enough money to financially plan it's just there's no plan until yeah you have a you bomb in Bonneville and you're like well I've made a terrible mistake too late now I'm too far into it it's just you gotta keep going otherwise you get stuck in Ireland like Steve Patterson did and now you're an Irish citizen and uh, you're working at a bar, I guess. I don't know what you do. Also, but. I have no other redeeming skills. There is zero. Go- <laughs> like I have said, this is it. There is no backup. There wasn't an education to be like I could I could potentially be a therapist. That would be the like, worst case scenario. I should not be telling people how to feel. Um, yeah, there was no there was no backup. I did. I just didn't like I wasn't interested in anything. Yeah. And I and I'm sure you've experienced this where you get so deep into comedy that all you talk about is comedy. Yeah. You for like there's nothing else that exists and like my eyes would glaze over as soon as somebody talked about anything (laughs) outside of comedy (laughs) and I look back I'm like yikes I I really should have just like 
put in the time to be interested in other things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you, they're yeah. like, yeah, this happened at work the other day. And I'm like, yeah, does it end funny or anything? Or any, <laughs> no? Okay, well. So you're an accountant? Yeah. Uh, you do what? You do retail, real estate? Yeah. Now you lost me there, I'm already tuned in. I got a gig tonight, so I'm just going through my set in my head here right now. So. Do you like numbers? I've actually numbered my set. Um, <laughs> I was so crazy, too. Like, when I first started, I remember... I had a show at eight o'clock that night and I was on the road. Like I wouldn't even go outside the hotel. I was like, I was just going to stay here. I mean, yeah. what if something, what if I go out and something happens and then like, I can't get to the show. So I'll just stay in the room. I'll just keep running my set over and over. So by the time I showed up to the venue, I was so wound up. And so like, just, okay, I've rehearsed this a million times and I need to, I need to everything's got to be just so, it was just crazy how much anxiety I couldn't eat before showtime and all this ridiculous stuff. I remember one time I watched Alonzo Bowden in Vancouver at the comedy mix. I think it was back in the day and it was in between shows and he's like eating a massive burger and fries in between shows. And I remember just being like, but you get with this show at 10, 30. I couldn't believe that he could do it. I was like, that's a pro. That guy knows. Yes. That's, it's genuinely how, you know, you're working with a pro is they can eat beforehand. Cause I also, I couldn't eat. I would get sick in the bathroom beforehand for the first year I want to say for sure yeah the year it would yeah it was like physically physical ailments yeah <laughs> it's like I can't if you try to talk to me I will shut down you will destroy me and I won't be able to do what I need to do isn't it amazing like think about any other job of like that's how you feel like your alarm goes off in the morning you realize what you've got to do for work and you just go to the bathroom and throw <laughs> just, just throw up so immediately <laughs> well like, mm. time to get the week started <laughs> right. shift starts in about mm, nine hours all right gonna start the day with a nice little vom sesh good 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 uh, <laughs> good lunch of anxiety and uh good. but it's just it's absolutely insane so you start in calgary yeah. You moved to Toronto fairly quick, right? Like you were, you only hung around, how, how many years were you in Calgary doing it before you said you're off to the, the Toronto? That's a good question. I've been here four years and I lived in Toronto five years. So wow, have, okay. yeah. So nine, nine years ago. Crazy. Good Lord. That's good nuts. Lord. Yeah. That's nuts. Um, yeah, so I moved there after that Comedy Network internship, which was the weirdest thing that has <laughs> been me, a thing. Like, tell, tell me a bit about okay, that. Okay, the Comedy Network internship wasn't actually, an, it was a paid internship, and you basically ran their social media, and they brought you to Just for Laughs. They put you up in a nice condo in, um, in Toronto. It was like... I'm from Calgary at the time. Just like I, there's no way I'm going to win this thing, but like, why not? Right. Um, and so I came up with this idea to campaign using pictures and I would like put tweets in, within the pictures. I remember going so far as standing in a bikini at a bus stop, holding a sign with a tweet on it. And it was like, pick, I don't know what it, it had. They had jokes on them, but like I was, I got so crazy about it. And I'm so glad I won because it was it was for sure the thing that pushed me over the edge that made me want to move to Toronto. Right. Um, and everyone, all the other comics thought I was like this big deal producer person, I'm pretty sure. And they didn't know what the job was. And I didn't tell anybody because why would you? Nice. <laughs> and yeah, so everyone was trying to impress me. And then they found out I was a comic and they're like, oh, oh, we're sorry. We take back all the niceties. <laughs> we, we didn't mean any of that. Um <laughs> It was, yeah, it was so 
bizarre. I went to just burlesque for the first time, not performing, obviously, but just like being there and uh, seeing all of my heroes in one room. It was yeah. it was like a wild, wild job. It was really cool. <clears throat> just for laughs was amazing, too, because when you go like my first time going, I remember being just you're just overwhelmed because this thing has been on the pedestal for such a long time. And then you find yourself in these rooms and on these shows. And the big thing for people who don't know, if you're not a comedian, if you've never been to JFL, it's like the big gathering at the Hyatt every evening where there's the big after party. And so as you're walking by, you could be walking by some of the biggest names in comedy or famous actors or whatever. So for a Canadian in particular, you're like, what is happening? And there's sculptures made of ice. And it, what is, it is surreal. It really, really is. I was overwhelmed. And I think anyone who's gone the first time is overwhelmed when you go. I was so overwhelmed. And, you know, especially because I had to explain to people, like, I am a comedian, but I'm not here as a comedian. Like, it, it sort of felt right. not less than, but... I, I, it made me just think like, I can't wait until I'm here in a performer aspect because right now it's hard to like relate to all my heroes. What I'm like, no, I'm just like, I'm, I'm here to ask you questions, but like I, I do comedy unlike funny or whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> like they don't know who I am. They're like, yeah. yeah, okay, sure. Kid. They flick their cigarettes at me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it was so intimidating. Uh, before everything happened, uh, Louis C.K. was there, uh, was a big fan. Things have shifted slightly. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I just went up to him and I was just like a robot. I'm like, hi, I think you're really funny. And then he like, he said, thanks. And then he continued the conversation that I had just interrupted. And I was like, okay, goodbye. Uh, and just <laughs> vanished into the night. It was so, it was so humiliating. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's terrible. <clears throat> Yeah, you, you, yeah, I realized it was very, very, uh, I walked in the next time I went, like years later, I was far more relaxed and kind of like, you yeah, don't, don't give it that kind of reverence, you know, like just, yeah. yeah, you're grateful to be there and all that stuff. But it's just like, you have to just remain, act like a normal person who like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be here as opposed yeah. to like, I felt like the first year was like, I had snuck into a party, like yes. I'm just waiting to get kicked out. But meanwhile, I have a lanyard, but it's like, yeah, but I, you don't guys know how much I admire your work. And I saw you on a movie. You were on something yeah. that I saw. <laughs> like you're trying yeah. not to be that Chris Farley character, basically, yeah. you know, interviewing, you know, Paul McCarty or something. So it, uh, the second time I was far more relaxed and just enjoyed myself. And, yeah. and, uh, it was a far better experience. I think too, you were one of the first, not one of the first comedians, but I think you learned pretty early. Like you put into writing pretty quickly, didn't you? Like you went, you kind of seemed yeah. to go from, Hey, I'm going to do stand up, stand up, stand up. And then you did kind of make that transition into writing. What did, did you always want to do that? Or is that something that you kind of realized later in the game? No, I never wanted to do that. <laughs> Full <laughs> disclosure. Like, I don't, I want praise. Uh, Admiration. <laughs> me, 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 me. Yeah. Um, no, I was fully that person. And then uh, Pat Thornton, who's a very hilarious comedian in Toronto, had he did a 24 hour stand up thing uh, where he did stand up for 24 hours and all of the money he raised went to the Stephen Lewis Foundation. Mm -hmm. And so he had his friends writing jokes for him in the audience because, you know, you you blow past the hour of material you do have. And then what do you talk about for 23 hours? You're crazy. So, so we all would write jokes and put them into like a bucket and then he would read them. 
And I remember getting the same feeling that I got telling a joke on stage when he read my joke. I got that same sense of like, I made them laugh through another person, but I still got to make them laugh. And it was the first time I kind of considered writing as, um, as a potential career move. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I've always been interested in, um, I almost said television. Um, <laughs> I, I had a television since uh, I was young. Um, yeah. I own a television. television. Um, I <laughs> see one behind you there. It looks amazing. Interesting. Um, so I, I ended up. I wrote a script because I had an idea and I had no idea what I was doing. I Googled scripts and I tried to teach myself how to write a script that way. And then I was doing stand up in Calgary for, uh, I think it was the YYC comedy festival and Mark McKinney from kids in the hall was there and he saw my set and he came up to me after the show and said, I think you're really funny. And then I uh, ceased to exist for um, probably the rest of the evening. I, I disintegrated into a million me's. And, and then I got an email uh, from a showrunner saying that um, Mark had seen me do stand up and did I want to help contribute to a show in Toronto since I lived there. So it was a complete fluke and I feel like an asshole every single time I tell the story. I'm like, oh, writing, I just kind of did it, Um, which isn't exactly true. I was brought on as like a a person who would do like the web stuff for this, this animated show. Okay. And then the people that were funding that aspect went bankrupt. So my job was just gone overnight. And so you were, you were really overpaid. They they were like, we "We can't afford her. Is that, you had another zero to that. That's going to, that's going to end us for sure. So who is she again? What does she do? Um, and so, uh, Meanwhile, I had the script. I, I, I didn't think anything of it. I had an acting agent at the time and nothing more than that. And I said, I have this script. I don't know if it's good. I don't know anything about writing. Could you send it to people? And it ended up on the same showrunner's desk. Weirdly, I don't know how that happened. And he hired me as a writer. And Crazy. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty nuts. Greg Lawrence, he, he gave me my first ever legit writing credit nice yeah so after that it was just kind of like getting to hang out with people funny people in a room all day and come up with fun ideas it it was like oh yeah this is just like the next step this makes sense that i would want to continue doing this yeah it's interesting because they're two different worlds right like that the whole stand-up thing is like you know energy driven it's adrenalized it's you know in front of all these people all the time whereas writing as a stand-up or writing writing in general is kind of more of a solitary thing that you sit in front of a laptop all day and you and i both know lots of comedians who are like i got a great idea for this thing and it's like you're never going to write that. Like you, <laughs> you, that is liquor talking and you are not getting up tomorrow going first thing, I'm getting a cup of coffee and I'm going to bang out this. Oh, no. It's like, it's not going to happen. They just don't have that thing to do that. Cause yeah. it takes discipline and it takes setting your own deadlines and stuff. And it's not the same skill set at all. I often thought of you when I was writing though, because 
it was it was foreign to me. I I was just doing stand up and I had like part time jobs in Toronto. But when I started writing this script, I'm like, no, I'm going to go to a, a cafe every day and write for an hour or however long. And I remember you saying that you wrote for an hour every day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Trent is the hardest worker I know in comedy, which I think is still true. You write so much. I'm yes, writing now. Were, I'm writing now. <laughs> you and you practice in your hotel room every day. You're set <laughs> 7,000 times over. Um, but no, I kept thinking like it, I, you were kind of the inspiration for me just being like, get over yourself and do the work because otherwise, like, what do you expect will happen? Well, um, that's what I think. I keep talking with the comedian that comes up on this podcast all the time, the comedian documentary with Jerry and talking about sitting down your ass in a chair and banging it out. And I find that's no more evident than just with writing in general. Like if you're doing like on our show, 22 minutes, it's like people don't care if you're not in the mood. Like people don't care that you're not feeling the muse today. It's like, get the shit done and then let's move on to the next thing. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't realize because as comedians, I feel like we're people who ran from work. (laughs) We like, oh, I don't want a boss or I don't want deadlines. I want like just to wake up at three o'clock in the afternoon and stumble into a comedy club when I want to. And writing is not that. It's the complete opposite of that. And the great part of writing for me now is that I know something is going to get rewritten a million times over so that that feeling of like, I'm not feeling it today. Like, yeah, just put something on the paper and then, um, and then it's going to be reworked a million times. So it doesn't matter just as long as there are words. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You just have a skeleton to start with. And as long as you have that, then you, you know, you'll figure it out from there, but you're not as precious with the first, Oh, it's going to be perfect. And I have to, it's like, no, just get it out of you. And then we'll figure it out from there. Yeah. And sometimes the worst things that you write turn into the best things that you write with a little work. Like uh, I have gone back into notebooks and been like, this is the worst thing I have ever written in my entire life. Let's see what we could do with it though. (laughs) (laughs) Probably the dumbest thing, but. Well, the funny thing about writing, especially with stand up, I find is that, you know, you have an initial idea, but then you realize if you go backwards from that idea, to flush it out more or go forwards with the idea. Maybe the funny part is either ahead of it or, beh- or, you know, or behind it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you think this initial thing is like, Oh no, that's the joke. It's like, no, that's not, that's going to be the setup of it actually. Or that's going to be the end of another thing that you have. And so as long as you can get it out and you have it somewhere, it may always be able to get used at some point or you can go back and you've, a, you have different knowledge now, or you've had different yeah. life experience that now makes it come to life. And I still to this day don't sometimes write stuff down and I wake up the next day like, oh my God, why did I? Yeah. Because I was like, it's so funny. I won't forget it. It's impossible. It's impossible that I will forget that idea. And I wake up the next morning, nothing. Um, and I'm like, I could have just put it in my phone. It would have taken 15 seconds. And I'm like, no, it's, it'll be great. It'll be it's, fine. It's going to be, it's going to be so good. <laughs> it's going to be so good. Yeah, it's, um, I, I'm the same way. If I don't write it down, it's gone. See you later. Sayonara. Um, I've always really admired comedians who can take one thing and just flip it on its side, flip it on its side until they've explored every single, you were one of those people. Um, like, I don't know if you've ever seen Josh Gondelman do stand up before. No. The first time I saw Josh, I was like, this is like watching an episode of 30 rock because there's so many jokes within a minute. It was, it was like, I still remember it as like, the time I was blown away in comedy bar by this guy who I had never heard of before 
he just, and I think that's like New York comedians in general, when I've seen them, LA comics have this very like laid back vibe of being like, yeah, I'll get to it when I get to it. And it's kind of lazy if we're being quite honest. (laughs) And then, and then you see New York comics who are doing like five sets a night who are just like, here's this one topic and I'm going to talk about it for one hour. (laughs) Like it's so, it's, I, I admire that so much because I get bored of things so quickly. Yeah. And, and that's, that's just, that's just me being lazy though. When yeah. it comes down to it. Yeah, they'll just keep flipping it and rolling it and rolling it and get squeeze every ounce of comedy out of that one premise. And you're like, yeah. I would have stopped at two. I would have been yes. like this, then this, and I'm out. I've got a cat, everybody. And we move on to the next thing. Like Gary Gullman does that too. Yeah. He's so wild. It's yeah, they put it under a microscope and just bash it and bash it till there's nothing left. And almost to the point where there's really nothing left for anyone else to a certain degree. You're like, yeah, yeah. you could do your bear bit, but I don't know what's left because he's the bear guy. He does You're bear. not the bear guy. He does bear. He's the only guy I know who can do bear. He does. He's got a bear. Maybe do cat. <laughs> Maybe try cat. Um, cat has not been crushed yet. So, um, but that's, that's just work ethic, I think. And then I think there is a borderline obsession too i think with comedians like i've i've had that where i've obsessed about why a bit won't work i'm like yeah i i really believe in it and i i think it's funny and i cannot unlock it i can't you get have it one bit that you're thinking of in particular that you're like i don't i still <clears throat> couldn't figure it out um I'm trying to think right now i know one thing i need to be better at i need to be better at if something doesn't work to not throw it away so quickly, you know, like to go, no, like you need to try that at least 10, 15 times before you go like, no, clearly there's not something there, but I'll do it once a new bit. It doesn't work. I'll maybe try it a second time. and like, it doesn't work at a different audience. And I'm like, okay, clearly this doesn't work. But I'm like, no, I just think I need to figure it out a way to, because I really believe like in front of the right bit or connected to another bit, it probably could work. So you're always trying to find that new, connective tissue to make it work or maybe it's a rewarding or so there's so many things you can adjust with it so it becomes an obsession almost like i'm just like oh like why can't i you know and then on the flip side yeah i had this one bit that i was like it's the thing that happened was funny i couldn't i couldn't figure out how to take that and then keep going with it Mm -hmm. Um, and then it turned out to be one of my favorite bits because I let it, I let it go. And then I returned to a notebook and I was like, I feel like there's something here. And then truly like a year or two later, I wrote it into a bit that started working. And it worked. Yeah, it was, um, the premise was of a homeless man called me a slut. And then I turned around and I looked at him and he said, Oh, never mind." Which I, I, I was like, this is so funny to me. Why? And then I, I tried so many different things with it and it wasn't like people would laugh at the initial, oh, never yeah. mind. But then yeah. I passed that. I was like, I have no idea. So what um, angle did you take on that? Because now I'm, I'm obsessed about this bit. So now I'm like, because in my mind, I went, did you go through his thought process of yes. what he saw when yeah. you turned around and what he could have? So what did, what did it end up? Yeah. How did it- so, oh, God. I, and also, I haven't done stand up in over two years now, which is so we're going to we're going to get into this. We'll, Don't we'll you worry. We will. talk. Um, OK, so I I think I it went from um, uh 
So he uh, he calls me a slut. I turn around. We make eye contact. He says, oh, never mind. And then I say, just because I'm nearsighted doesn't mean I don't slam the D on the regs, sir, <laughs> which is bad. And then I'm like, as a feminist, I uh, the lines of feminism blur for me a little bit because initially I was mad that he called me a slut. But then I was way more angry that he took it away so fast. <laughs> Um, yeah. And then I think I, I think it, where I went with it is I just, I think I can't even remember the bit now. It's like the, it's, isn't that amazing though, how you spend that much time with something and yeah. you've probably said that on stage a hundred times and then it's one day you just don't, it does, it just disappears into the vapor. I don't remember so much. The it's other thing about that bit too, I was thinking was that, cause you're right. It's the duality of like. So why did he take it away? Did he look at you? Did he look at you and go like, "Oh no, you're actually quite classy." Forget it, or was it like? <laughs> I, but I immediately went to. He saw I was wearing glasses and was like, "Oh, she couldn't possibly." Um, that's where my mind went to. He just saw my. Oh yeah, okay. You just reminded me where I said from the front. Oh God. Ah, from the back. Oh, God. From the front, I'm like a librarian or something. But from the back, I'm... (laughs) (laughs) Roz from TV's Frasier. It was very, um, very... (laughs) That part, like, didn't ever work as well. But I'm like, I'm keeping it because it's a very dumb reference. But see, that's the thing, though. So you had the skeleton of that. Like, you're right. This thing actually happened in your life. That's what people may not understand about comedians. Like, but that's not enough. Yeah. Sometimes you can just take it as is and put it on stage and it works, but you're like, yeah. no, there's more in here. So now you're trying yeah. to layer it. And then that becomes an obsession, like weeks, yeah. months, maybe even years of like, what does he say to me? What, what angle do I take? Do I combine a bunch of angles? Is it just my perspective and what was going on in my head when this interaction took place? Yeah. Is it a third person who was across the street who watched this thing go down? <laughs> it's like, what the, like you just, that's what it's the shit I obsess about. Like it keeps me up at night where I'm like, yeah. no, I can't, I cannot find a way to get into this thing or really make it jump, you know? And I think you're what right. Is, the funny yeah. things that happen on their own are sometimes the toughest. It's like when so it's just true, funny as yeah. it is, it's like, you're like, yeah. well, how do I, because if you alter it, you mess it up somehow. It's so true. And I think I tried to do that when I originally was trying it. I was like, oh, I'll alter what he says or something. But like, no, the original thing that he said was, oh, never mind, which is so funny. Yeah. That's the, that's the funny part of it all. Um, yeah. That's so, so funny. Yeah. And then you think about yeah. callbacks after that. You're like, no, I can knock yeah. that line. I can use later on a different <laughs> bit that I have. It's like, oh, you're a slut. Never mind. Yeah, never mind. Yeah. When uh, you look in the mirror in the morning, you're like, you slut. <laughs> never mind. You put your glasses on. Never mind. <laughs> never mind. You're good. You're good. You're fine. Um, um, so did you get you, to the wait, point? Go ahead. Trent, can we stop for a second? We can. For one second. No problem. I just have to blow my nose. I've been sniffling. Resume. Resuming recording. Um, so, did you? Because some people, this happens to happened to a few comedian friends of mine. Of they were initially just stand up performers, then got that same feeling that you had when they saw someone else do a joke they wrote. They were like, "Oh, this actually meets meets the need the same way." I don't, and I don't need to go through. I got to be on the road for oh, X amount of weeks a year and stuff. Yeah. So what? You've taken a break now. From where did this come about? Um. <clears throat> Yeah, so I moved to Los Angeles and then I was, I, I mean, starting over is a very humbling experience. You know, I did stand up in Canada for uh, 10 years and then 
Um, and then I moved there and like none of your credits sort of transfer over <laughs> in the no. stage, which is, yeah, it's just a very humbling experience. And so you go from the top of your game to just starting from new and doing open mics again. And I knew that going into it, I didn't, it probably didn't hit me how hard it would be, especially because I'm really, I'm really not an extroverted person in the sense that like, I, I get really intimidated by groups of people and like social situations where I don't know people very Mm -hmm. easily. Um, which is probably why I drank so much when I first started comedy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was, it, you really need to hang out at shows to get to know people. And I think I just, between the move to a different country and starting over, I was just feeling very overwhelmed. And I ended up doing a comedy festival and it wasn't like comedy festivals are supposed to be the bread and butter of comedy. And I didn't have a good time. I think I was just like in a very weird mental state and I had one show when I got back from that festival and it was a midnight show on a Saturday (laughs) which if you don't know not ideal I would say not ideal for like five art students (laughs) Um, and it I just I was like I think I need a break and before taking a break I had I had this idea in my head and I think it's because I had heard so many other comedians talk about it before but it's like if you're not doing stand-up you're not a comedian and I was so scared of taking that time for myself because I I knew that it would be likely that people would forget about me or at least Mm -hmm. that's how it felt and in Los Angeles nobody knew me anyway so I think it was kind of easier to take that much needed break Mm-hmm. And I didn't know it would keep going. Like I fully thought I would take a month off or something and get back out there. And what ended up happening is uh, I got a writing job and a dog and staying home at night was really nice. And I wasn't feeling as anxious as I was. And I was able to, you know, still be productive and feel like I was doing something and not feel guilty about not going out at night, which I had been feeling for a few months. Um, mm. Cause it was just very overwhelming. And yeah. I applaud anybody who can just go out there and just, you know, hit the, hit the road running. And um, I guess I, I just didn't really have it in me at the time. Not to say that I will never do stand-up <clears throat> again. I, I think I will, but as evident a few minutes ago, I don't remember my jokes, so I don't even know what I would talk about Going back if I were what? to. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? No, you're right. You bring up a good point. I'm glad you kind of put your own mental health first because I see people in general, but especially comedians, like you feel like you've got to be going a million miles an hour all the time. Got to get to all the open mics, got to, got to be hustling. And I get it. There's a large aspect of that. Cause that is the way to kind of get yourself forward, yeah. but there's a price to that. Um, Mace Galoni and I were talking last year about, you know, just being able to sit down and finish a meal and not have to run out the door to go, I got to get across town to go do a spot at whatever. Like these are yeah. all things that other people take for granted, but for comedians, that's been our life the whole time is like in a dark club every single evening and 
you sacrifice a lot. That is, yeah. and then of course the show goes well or it doesn't go well. Then you beat the shit out of yourself about the jokes you did or didn't do or how you delivered them. And so it just becomes this cycle of hustling like that all the time. So I can get how you could burn out from something like that. Yeah, and you know, I think I also realized pretty early on that the road wasn't for me. I, I find it very lonely and I didn't love, like, if you bomb in the middle of nowhere and you're there for a weekend, you're just there for the weekend. You can't, like, go, you can't yeah. remove yourself from that situation. You're, like, contract contracted to be there. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I, I'm just such a homebody. And it was very black and white for me because the people who loved stand-up, they put everything that they had into it and they loved it and they were getting something out of it. And I just didn't feel like if I, if I, my plan wasn't to become a road comic and just commit myself fully to it. It didn't make sense for me at the time to um, keep going down that mm -hmm. road. I had to find something else. And I'm so glad that <clears throat> I did enjoy writing because I mean, it, I think it's hard in any, in any career to go from one thing that has like defined you your entire life to something completely different. It's really scary and you don't know if it's going to work out and maybe you're going to miss this old thing. Um, but for me, it was like, I just have to try it because I'm not, I'm not getting the same feelings that I did when I first started, which is the whole reason I kept going. Yeah. Oh, it makes sense. And I'm glad you're able to, to pull back from that and find that. And like I said, you had that other tool anyway that you could automatically go to, which is great. Yeah. Um, but I feel you're right. There's a lot of comedians who may feel trapped and like, well, I don't have anything else and I don't enjoy writing. So yeah. I got to be that road dog who's on the road, you know, like 48 weekends of the year. And yeah. I tell people all the time, especially people who ask me about stand up and they're like, man, I'm thinking about being a comedian and I almost want to go. You need to sit down. <laughs> I know. You need to have the talk. Exactly. I know you. Exactly. <laughs> How old are you? Forty-five. Sit down. Let me tell you something. Because people uh, extra see. Sit down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, exactly. Like I need you to actually. Is that your family? I need you to bring them over here as well. Come here. You love this guy? Do you love him? Yeah. Okay. Sit down. Because uh, they just <laughs> they just see like the fun part of on stage and all that, and it's like you don't understand what that road is going to be like and it's hard and heartbreaking and i talked about it on the last one of my other episodes it's just like i saw all these comedians at the halifax comedy festival this past weekend and i remember just having a quiet moment looking around the room and i went every one of these comedians has pushed through so much bullshit and heartbreak and probably lost friendships and relationships and strained relationships with family members and have gone through dark, dark nights and days to just still be in the game, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, when people get dismissive and say stuff like, well, Amanda, you were always funny. It's just like, to me, I'm like, that is so <laughs> dismissive of the, the, the sacrifices you have to make to be successful in this career. It's just, it doesn't it's end true. and it never ends. Yeah. It's not like you get to a certain level and it's like, okay, I don't have to do it anymore. It's like, no, no it, it never ends. It's always some price to pay. And so I just had that realization while I was looking around the room of like everybody in this room has paid that price to some extent, you know? Yeah. And like, I, I joked about it earlier about, 
um, I just fell into writing. But like, you know, I had been doing stand up for so long and the jokes that I told on stage were, you know, crafted for years. And um, Mm -hmm. it was like the best of the best. So I feel like when I did get that opportunity, I was ready for it because I had also tried to write my first script and just uh, wrote a lot. So, yeah, it is. And, you know, and some weirdly in America, it feels like youth is currency. So like where in as in Canada, I feel like you you don't get opportunities when you're super new, Mm -hmm. um, which is good and bad. I think the star system in Canada is a little weird. Uh, it's like, <laughs> Oh, you're system? talented. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about your career in 30 years. Yeah. Um, whereas here it's like, Oh, you, you have something. I don't know if it's everything, but you have something. Let's just, let's just take a gamble and throw you in there. Yeah. Um, and I think there's pros and cons to both, but it's certainly harder to have a, a career in Canada, I would say, although things are getting better, especially with, you know, Shit's Creek is mm-hmm. swept to the Emmys, which is amazing. And like Trailer Park Boys has always been a staple in Letterkenny and, and uh, Kim's Convenience. And I think shows like that are making it yep. easier and um, feels like there's more of a bright future for <clears throat> anyone writing, I guess. Well, I think, too, you, you said that about in America, like people are willing to take chances, but I realized too, like it's a cultural thing. Like almost in America, they want to be, people in general want to be like, oh, we discovered this person. Yeah. Like I remember opening for acts in America and you'd have like your little t-shirts or whatever set up. I'd ask the headline act, like, do you mind if I sell some merch? And they'd be like, oh yeah, no problem, dude. And like people would come up and actually go like, dude, great job. How much are your t-shirts? And I'm like, you give a shit? Like I'm the opening act. Like, you know, I couldn't, but I think there was a large part of that was, no, we want to be like people that were like, man, I was at your first show and we saw this guy. Like there's almost a, a, a pride in discovery of something. Yeah. Whereas in Canada, I don't, we don't have that. We can need to see, let me see you stick around for a decade first. And then here may come some opportunities in, in America. It seems very, very different, very different, very different mentality. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And maybe it also has to do a lot with location. Like I feel like if you're living in Calgary or Edmonton, the chances of you getting like discovered or just <laughs> there, yeah. there, it didn't happen. It wasn't yeah. a thing, but in Toronto, it seems like something, I mean, Zoe who books just for laughs is, is amazing. And she has a very good eye for comedy because she's around it constantly. And she, she knows talent when she sees it. So I think she's, you know, booking, newer comics especially for like homegrown and stuff and that's but that's like the the opportunity for newer comedians in Canada like it doesn't there's nothing mm-hmm. past that really it's it's not like somebody's going to give you a show because you because of your tight five on, yeah. on an open mic whereas here that's that is a possibility that could that, happen that can happen yeah I think now that's why it's such a a move for people to kind of just do their own thing. Like I think waiting to be chosen by the industry and the so-called gatekeepers is like, that's a long, long game. And I think now with podcasting, with people putting off their own shows, you know, web series, all those things, I think now it's at your disposal to do it yourself. And I think it's quite often, I find it interesting because sometimes when you focus on just doing your own thing, it's when those other people come calling. 
It's yeah. like the one you're sitting around waiting for. Like, I got to get the festival or I submitted this script and I'm waiting to hear back. That seems to last forever. It's like watching a pot boil on a stove. But when you yeah. start doing your own thing and create your own little following and your own little stir, it seems like then they start to take interest and go, oh, what's she doing over there? That's interesting. You know, they almost need yeah. to see it proven in another medium first and then they have comfort with it and go, oh, we'd like to have her in now because you've shown the initiative to do it on your own. You know, and I think yeah. it seems to be a lot more of that, I think, too, especially up here. Totally. And I, I think that translates even over in writing, at least. I started writing like blogs or just, you know, reaching out to sites that had like satirical um, satirical pieces and just pitching and seeing what happens. And I every little idea that you have, I would say, like, just don't dismiss it because it could turn into something. It could turn into that opportunity that you need. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So right now, what's the plan? You're living in a cabin in the woods. I'm you never leaving. I am <laughs> quite scared. Um, <laughs> I've just finished cutting wood and gutting fish. I'm a uh, lumberjack now. Um, <laughs> I'm here until the weekend. I, I'm writing for a animated show right now for awesome. DreamWorks. Awesome. Uh, it's all over Zoom, which is it's my first virtual writer's room that I've been in, which has been like very interesting. But we're le- we're we're living, we're learning, we're going with it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, animation is weird because it's there's no set time for it. It just kind of like keeps going until it gets canceled. I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it hasn't been on television yet, so who knows? Right. Um. Yeah, but aside from that, I'm just I I do want to keep it fresh because I'm feeling like the stir craziness of everything, and I'm very I'm just like so very happy and um, thankful that I am employed. But mm-hmm. I do have to exercise the other part of my brain that's like work on your own thing, just like start. Even it's that thing that we were just talking about of like just get something down on the paper and then go from there. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's like, how do you make plans right now? <laughs> I know, I know. The stand-up side of thing, do you miss the live performance part? Or is that, are you kind of like, does the, does the whole COVID thing make you just go, oh God, no, I don't even want to think about that right now? Or do you sometimes go, no, I miss that adrenaline of a live performance and doing that thing? The first thing I thought of when they started doing Zoom shows was, thank God I got out when I did. <laughs> <laughs> God, I... I oh my god it's I I finally feel how people would feel when they came up to you and like I could never do what you do like I could never do (laughs) what people are doing now like zoom shows to me I apparently there are some good ones have you been doing zoom shows no I mean I've hosted some events that have been through zoom like whatever but like to do that wasn't so bad because you're not necessarily going for laughs you're just kind of like there was guests and stuff and so I was introducing guests and for the bigger thing but to do a straight up stand up show like down the barrel and be like so anyway like you're like (laughs) what is happening like you need the give and take of an audience you need the laughter back I don't know how do you do timing how do you so I've not done any stand up shows are you do you miss it so badly like you well it's different here because like in Alberta of course they opened up the clubs and stuff so you're actually able to get on stage if you wanted to so I did a few shows and in here in Halifax there's the Atlantic bubble so like the Halifax festival went ahead last weekend I did two shows on that and so it feels you know it's through social distance and all that stuff but you it starts to feel normal again which is great but you know if i was in california and some of these areas where there's 
high cases, you're like, what do I walk into a club right now? Like, yeah. what is happening? So, um, and and so, it, but just the element of stand up itself, you don't miss at all. You don't miss actually getting up there and going, okay, I got to try and make these people laugh for seven minutes. If in, in a normal scenario in a healthy environment, it's so weird. And this this is going to sound like. I'm a crazy egomaniac. I I listen to, or like a, I think a set of mine from the Winnipeg Festival. I was tagged in uh, in the clip online, and I I watched it even though I don't love watching myself do stand up. And I was like, oh yeah, I miss I miss that. I do miss that. I miss yep. because I had fun and I I like uh, the feeling of being on stage. And then also I look at that clip and I'm like, I didn't have that much fun on that. (laughs) I didn't, they really zhuzhed up the audience in that clip, but when it is good, there is nothing like stand up. And so I do, I miss things like comedy bar in Toronto, which sort of became like a womb to me. Um, and, and just, yeah, I do, I do miss the excitement of it sometimes. But I also love, and like pandemic and scary election aside, I'm really happy with what I'm doing right now in life. And so I'm, I'm just kind of following that until it doesn't feel okay anymore. That's a good idea. And it's a theme I've kind of adopted over the last bunch of months too, is like, just do what feels good. It's like, you don't have yeah. to overthink it much more than that or have our lives all planned out to the T. It's like, does this feel good in the moment? Yeah, we'll do yeah. that. And like mental health wise too, the thing that has saved me in the last month, I would say is like, your life is a joke. You have nothing like you're, you're doing pretty good right now. Like you don't take life so seriously, go what, go with what feels good. And it's, it's, if I say that in the morning and like, if I need a reminder in the afternoon, that's like sort of saving me right now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's like it's all crazy. It's, we have no control of everything. Of anything, yeah. let go. Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to start a fight with who? A tree? I'm in the woods. I, I, I have nothing to complain about. I'm in my own little bubble. Whatever happens, happens. I'm not going to cease to exist. Should something terrifying happen tonight or in the next couple of weeks, like right. you just got to go with what life hurdles at you, and yeah. Well, I think too, it's especially, I think if you're self-employed in general, but I think especially for us in entertainment, there has to be just an underlying stupid amount of faith that you'll just figure it out. Like this could all end tomorrow. And then I guess I'll just go to do like, I'll figure out another gig somehow. Like, but most people don't live that way. Right. They're in jobs where they're like, I'm going to be here another 15 years and then I get to retire. And whereas we're like, Oh, I don't know if this will exist when I wake up in the morning. I don't know. And we get used to just living on that high wire every day. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for our career, we've never felt secure in what we've been doing because it can be, be taken away so quickly that like I think because I was raised that way in a way that I'm just like okay well you've been handed some shit in the past and that you got over that pretty quickly so just keep keep going (laughs) yeah what other option do you have again I'm not going to be an accountant I can barely count to 10 that's not (laughs) it's not happening for you so just make it work 
So don't send you my taxes is what you're saying. I will write a happy face on it and send it back. (laughs) Good work. (laughs) Great job. Numbers. These are just receipts you've handed back to me. Yeah. I don't, you didn't do anything with these at all. Wow. Um, I hit up that Tim Hortons quite frequently, Trent. I'm worried. <laughs> That's actually you. quite true. Um, well, I hope the world, as you know it, in that neck of the woods does not end tonight. I hope Me too. everybody is safe and well. And I hope we'll- you too. Canada. I miss yeah. you. I miss everyone. Yeah, you got to get back up here at some point and... Uh, come back to the the clean fresh air and the abundance of water we have up here now it's just you can get water anywhere up here now it's crazy I you am just... jealous i am drinking motor oil over here <laughs> <laughs> just to get through the day <laughs> the light stuff but still it's 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 it pretty is. thick it's pretty it's thick not a great taste quite thick quite, quite thick worried about my insides if i'm being completely honest. well you know what they're running smoothly in there right now so they're well lubricated so great job on that um thank you so much good luck with the writing job and uh thanks, thanks for doing this it's great to catch up with you nice to see you you too bye bye There it is, another one in the can. Hope you enjoyed that chat with Amanda. She's such a great person, awesome. I wish her the best of luck. She's one of those people that uh, you root for, you know, because she's she's uh, supremely talented and also just a, a kind, kind soul. So um, I wish her the best and hope to to see her in person at some point down the road. I hope you have a fantastic week. I really mean that. Uh, if you're going through some stuff right now, stay strong. Lean on a friend if you have to. Call a professional if you have to. No shame in that either. Um, do what you got to do that um, that uh, keeps you on the straight and narrow and, and allows you to be happy and healthy. And so um, do the things you got to do as long as you're not hurting anybody else. That's uh, kind of the rule I try to live by. So um, I hope you have a fantastic week. And uh, please do join me again next week on The Generators Podcast. Have a great week. Bye-bye.